You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. No, well, I mean, you could say, you know, parts of Western Iowa are very similar to Paris. <laughs> but... <laughs> Hello and welcome to Play. This week, we're going to be reflecting on the thrilling conclusion of the PSL. Go around the grounds to talk about South Africa's surprise fight back in New Zealand and India's autopilot series sweep. After that, a round of some of the biggest headlines in cricket and always Zach's quick question. We've got a full Rainstop Play Quartet today. I'm going to come to Zach first, who is sporting an injury. Zach, how are you? <laughs> uh, I'm, I am injured. I, I fell over running and I've uh, broken a knuckle. That is a that's gutting that it was it was it was just falling over. Will you be fit for the cricket season? It's touch and go. It, oh, it's ruined preseason. That's no, what it's ruined preseason. Yeah, it was building. We're, in, up we're in indoor nets. It's the indoor nets window now, isn't it? So none of that. That is a shame. Um, Glenn, how are you? Any any broken limbs or anything or, or well? Yeah, <laughs> it's just really Good. sad. Zach's, Zach's like waving his cast around on the, on the video. Yeah. It looks, looks depressing. <laughs> And Will, are you you looking in fine order uh, this evening? Thank you. I'm very well. I'm just enjoying that Zach has an entire forearm cast for a broken knuckle. <laughs> yeah, very extreme, isn't it? Very extreme. Got to be, got to be safe. Got to be safe. Right. This week we're starting with the conclusion of the PSL, and joining us to chat about that is Hamad, a very special guest. We had him on about a month ago to reflect uh, on the middle of the PSL, and he's here again uh, to chat about the conclusion. Uh, so I'll hand over to myself, Glenn, and Hamad uh, for part one. Okay, so joined by Glenn and welcome back, Hamad. Uh, you were with us for a, a PSL rundown about a month ago now, I want to say, but we've come to the end yeah. of the tournament. Um, before we get stuck into the final, which was fantastic the other day, do you want to just talk us through what happened in, in the knockout phases before we got to the final? So, hi, everybody. Uh, it's good to be back at the podcast again uh, to describe the PSL. So, uh just a quick refresher, the knockout stages of PSL are basically sort of like eliminators, where the first and second teams fight each other and the third and fourth teams 
uh, uh, fight each other. And uh, from the first and second, uh, whoever wins goes into the final proper. And the loser gets a second chance in the second eliminator, uh, which is with the winner of the third and fourth uh, competition. Uh, and then they, whoever wins that then fights the loser of the first eliminator. And then whoever wins that uh, then goes on to the final. And then we have the final as so. So with that in mind, our first eliminator, uh, first, uh, uh, sorry, like the first and second uh, uh, on the table were Multan Sultans and Lahore Kalanders. And that limited, that match basically went on with Multan Sultans uh, scoring 163 for two wickets and Lahore Kalanders failing to reach that uh, with uh, 135 for nine. So that put Multan Sultans into the final. Then on for the second match, we had Islamabad United versus Peshawar. Uh, with on that, we know that uh, Peshawar won that uh, with scoring 169 for five. Uh, actually, no, Isla- Islamabad won that. That's a, that's a mistake on Piper. Uh, Peshawar scored 169 for five, and uh, Islamabad did manage to reach that with 170 for five, with only three balls remaining. And then we had the second eliminator between uh, Lahore and Islamabad, and there Lahore managed to win with 168 for seven, and Islamabad United failing to reach that with 162 all out. And then finally, as we know, the final happened yesterday, um, and it was again Lahore Kalanders versus Multan Santans. Lahore uh, set the total of 180 for five uh, with some rescue batting by Hafiz and uh, a couple of the other uh, batsmen in the Sultan's lineup. And then we had uh, for such as Harry Brook and David Wiese again. And then we had Multan Sultans failing to reach that target with 138 all out in the last over. Brilliant uh, summation there, Hamad. Thank you. It was, uh, it was a really good final, wasn't it? And uh, yeah. Lahore winning in front of their home fans. Pretty cool. You like to see that. Um, yeah. Glenn, you've loved this tournament. Uh, I know you've been really watching it very closely, which is great. Um, talk us a bit through the final, actually, and how much you how much you enjoyed it, and and some of the standout performances. Yeah, absolutely, and thank you, Hamad, for that for that wonderful kind of sum up. Um, it was really interesting. I think obviously that the the best teams um, ended up in the final, right? Um, obviously, Multan were exceptional throughout the entire tournament. They were such a cut above um, everybody else, I think it's fair to say. Um, and yeah, and um, would you believe it? They win their knockout, and then the second place team win the kind of, I guess, second chance knockout. So yeah. once again, you almost had a dress rehearsal um, in, in the first round for this final. And interestingly, it was pretty comfortable um, for Multan in, the, in that dress rehearsal. Um, again, you know, Rizwan in, the, in that game just a couple of days ago got another 50 um yeah. although Fakasaman did really well in that and got 63 not out it wasn't enough for Moltan so it's really interesting to see if those narratives um which we talked about in that first knockout carried through um to the actual final itself and yeah I think I was quite surprised to be perfectly honest um because I think pretty much most people, uh, I imagine Mad would agree, were probably expecting, um, you know, a Moltan, Moltan win. They've been, as I mentioned, you know, the best, the most consistent team. Uh, what's been especially good about them has been their opening duo, um, Sham Masood and Mohamed Rizwan, who was, uh, Rizwan was awarded player of the tournament for his exceptional wicketkeeping, batting. He was the second highest run scorer and captaincy. So he really is, if you if you, if you talk about a full package for, a, for an international yeah. cricketer, right, he has it all. Uh, not to mention just seems 
seems like a really great person, a great personality. Reminds me a bit of Owen Morgan sometimes with um, with his captaincy. So obviously, you know, the expectation was perhaps um, for, for Moltan to go out there and win. And what I loved about this game is that that was um, what kind of played out in the initial maybe quarter of the match um, when Lahore, I think, really struggled to get going. Um, Fakasaman would be disappointed with just three runs. Um, yeah. The top th- the top four, nobody got beyond 15. Um, so it really came down to the to the lower order, which Hamad pointed out. Um Mohamed Hafiz uh, hit a magnificent 69 off um, only 46, really gave the innings some momentum. But what I love most of all um, was a young gun from the UK, Harry Brooks, smashing a really impressive 41 off 22, nearly a 200 strike rate. But uh, David Reese, who we've talked about um, here, we talked about his exploits for Namibia on this pod at length uh, over the last couple of months. He hit, and I'm pretty sure he hit an identical innings in this game and the one prior, yes. which was which was just 28 off eight balls. So he had yep. a mirror innings, which was incredible. Um, and what that did, um, right, is it just gave Lahore just this extra bit of momentum at the end of the innings. Mm-hmm. And the pitch seemed maybe just a little bit slow to come onto the bat. Um, and to get 180 on this pitch was a really exceptional effort by the lower order. The the openers, the top four struggled. The lower order, 69, 41, 28, bang. There's your total on the table. Um, with that with that in mind, um, I do think that uh, some of us probably still accepted expected Moltan to to run this close. I was thinking, mm-hmm. I think I think 180 might be a bit much to ask, but I think mm-hmm. they'll at least bring it to the final over. Um, that wasn't the case. The, their uh, top four, five, it almost looks um, a parallel of the Lahore. I think all the openers, all the top order batsmen struggled in this game. Um, and by the time big hitters um, such as Tim David came in, he got you know, to his customary quick fire 27. It was almost too little too late. Um, and what was really interesting is that obviously uh, Moltan were bowled out. And uh, we saw Shahina Freedy just come in with the most lethal of in-swinging Yorkers, just running through the tail. Um, and what's funny, Dan, is although this game on paper, you would think, wow, well, this was just quite a boring 42 run win which is really one-sided for a final correct me if i'm wrong Hamad, but it didn't feel that way i think because lahore were the underdogs that already gave it a bit of excitement but it didn't feel mm. it, it went towards the end and obviously we realized by about you know the 16th over it was it was out of sight for for Moltan, but it's there's still a bit of tension there just because they bat so deep and even when david willie came in and i was like well he can he can hit it cleaned up first ball yorked by a, yeah. a 3d um and again you know hamad what, what i loved about this you know they won it in front of their home fans the atmosphere was one oh, of the best atmospheres i've seen in a, in a pandemic game it was just sensational and i was so jealous yeah. i wasn't there <laughs> totally same uh, same feelings over here that we couldn't be here there in person uh, and totally as you said Multan sort of like lost the plot a bit early but even then you still had that trepidation that they might just sneak it away yeah. uh, because of how how well their batting lineup has worked over time uh one of the i would say a bit of a surprise was that they sent asif afridi over tim david a, a, a bit earlier because uh when i was watching it with a couple of people they were a bit we were a bit surprised that asif afridi was sent up over that uh but overall the general perception with with the match was that yes lahore were the underdogs coming in but they had the emotion with respect to uh, Multan's power. So while Multan might have the power, uh, Lahore was coming in with the emotion of getting into the final and, and possibly winning it. And again, 
winning in front of a home crowd, a jam-packed stadium, always the best of feelings. And congratulations to Lahore Kalandars and Shaheen Shahafridi, the youngest captain to win a T20 league at 21 years of age. Imagine that. Great little stat that about Shaheen. I didn't I didn't know that. That's a good bit of information. It, it, it was fantastic. And we spoke about the final now. But before we come on to talk more broadly about the tournament and, and sort of where it sits in the cricket calendar and and who watches it and why and why it's been so good. Let's talk about some tournament tournament performances of note. Excuse me. Uh, Glenn, you, you mentioned Rizwan, who got player of the tournament. 546 runs at an average of 68 is <laughs> ridiculous. Uh, this guy's a joke. Can't wait to see him in the World Cup later this year. Uh, any others you want to point out, Glenn? Some some people, uh, Pakistan players and uh, some overseas players as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, I was looking, obviously, at the um, highest run scorers, highest wicket takers just before bed. Um, a lot of familiar faces, I'd say. So as you mentioned, Rizwan uh, just was exceptional throughout. Um, Fak is a man who had a tournament to remember, was the highest run scorer, was a, with a pretty magnificent 588. Um, Shaheen Afridi surprising pretty much nobody who follows their yeah. cricket was the highest wicket taker with uh, 20 um couple more performances i just want to point out um jason roy actually you know we're on england watch do like to just keep tabs of how you know our, our boys um at least in the men's game are, are faring yeah. abroad and um he was eighth in the run standing and you know off the off the off the bat that didn't sound too impressive but i noted that he played basically half as many games as the people around him so had he been there for the full selection you would think he would have been right near the top so he looked in great nick throughout the tournament um alex hales who was really concerned consistent at the top of the order he finished fifth in the run standing so very um solid um tournaments for them obviously for england the national team jason roy will be the one to look at there um the player that jumped out to me who i think had one of the most impressive tournaments was shadab khan um he was the second highest wicket taker he got 19 so just just the one behind a freedy but what i noted when i was looking at the stats a little bit closer was his economy he got 19 wickets with an economy of of less than 6.5 6.47 which was the best economy of anyone in the top 10 wicket takers um so and again you know could contribute with a bat as well so i'd say shadab khan had an exceptionally good tournament um and then one more i want to mention is imran tahir who still has it right still has the magic it doesn't he's He's yeah. ageless. He, he he cannot <laughs> age. Um, he was sixth in the highest wicket takings with uh, with 16, and he can still celebrate like he's uh, 18 years old. So <laughs> familiar faces, but um, a really superb kind of collection of players. But yeah, it's worth noting that it seems to be Pakistan and England are the ones pretty much dominating that. Um, Hamad, who else jumped out for you that I that I might have missed? Yeah. So the one that definitely jumped out was Khushal Shah's bowling. That he managed to get 16 wickets, even though he doesn't really bow much uh, in, in like international duty or otherwise. And the fact that Moulton Suntal were use, able to use him as a second spinner as well as a pinch hitter uh, throughout the tournament. And he managed to maybe edge out a bit uh, Asif Ali when it comes to maybe national standing. Because he he now shows that he can also bowl and he can also bowl within some crucial middle part overs. So he gives you that extra uh, opportunity to be good uh, uh, when you're doing your international stuff. Go ahead. Yeah, and it's worth noting that um, he did win best all-rounder of the tournament and best fielder of the tournament. Yeah. Um, so impressive stuff there and some nice prize money as well. Um, yeah. yeah, a lot of yeah, a lot of familiar faces. Um, 
but yeah, as you mentioned, a couple of surprises in there as well. And I think it's just testament to the, I think, the quality of cricket um, that was played in the tournament that allowed these players. It was a great environment for players to excel, I think, in this in this format. Go on, Howard. Yeah, I was also going to say that most, regarding the atmosphere of the tournament, you saw this a lot of like uh, a very happy, go lucky uh, situations with a lot of the captains like Rizwan and Shaheen. And even across as as the as the matches go on, p- players are joking with each other, even though they might be on opposite teams, which really you do not really see in a lot of other to- uh, to franchise tournaments. I think you don't really see that. There always seems to be a lot of anger in a lot of other cases or animosity across the people. Um, although I would say I completely agree, and I noted that throughout. Although I think the line they drew for that to end Hamad was the final, because you saw you saw Shaheen, you know, just before he really got into his flow and um, and started picking up the tail enders. I think his second over went for quite a few runs, yeah. and he was really unhappy with Rizwan and a couple of teammates. And I love the passion, right? I loved it, but um, yeah, that was the only time where I saw you know one person, which is Rizwan, just joking around, just trying to have some fun with him, and he was not having it. He had to storm yeah. off he was storming off people were grabbing him by the arm and just being like calm down which showed you know again as you mentioned i love the way you put it Hamad. the emotion they were running with the emotion and yeah. you could see that on the captain's face they cared every player in this tournament as far as i could tell cared which is fantastic yeah well that brings me nicely on well segued boys onto this tournament in general we can kind of kind of reflect on it now it's yeah. the seventh completion of the pcl now just looking on wikipedia Ravi Bopara was player of the tournament in 2016. Who'd have thought yeah. that? I certainly wouldn't have. Well yeah. done to him. Uh, so we're into, well, it'll be the eighth and when we come back next year. Um, Hamad, for you, where does this sit in the, in the franchise leagues across the world? you got uh, obviously the IPL, which sits on top. But mm-hmm. for me now, the PSL is well up there with the BBN Australia, well ahead of the Blast and, and the 100 for entertainment value, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to hear your opinion on that and why you think it works so well, why you think it has been so engaging this year. Yeah. So I think for the first part, the PSL, after so much time, is now being held regularly in Pakistan. So you obviously get that home crowd uh, situation where everybody is there. And also add to the fact that uh, it sort of like steps above IPL for me in a lot of cases, simply because Pakistani players can actually play in this. You actually have the caliber of Pakistani bowling, fast spin or otherwise, actually being showcased in the tournament. And you always get every tournament seems to have this emerging fast bowler or fast uh, or some um, some batsman or bowler that just pops up and you take up and take notice as, okay, what's what's going on over here? And I guess for me, it also is that uh, because the tournament is relatively short. There are only six teams that are fighting in this, and it seems to end up within a month. Uh, that at least keeps the excitement of the tournament uh, really high. You're not led into this where you're dealing with 10 or 12 teams, and the league just seems to drag on and on and on. And so you're not necessarily just tired of it all. Not by boredom, but you're tired by the excitement of it. Actually. I know exactly what you mean. I think we look at the IPL and I saw they announced the dates. It's running from late March to like early mid-May. It's a six-weeker and it's still a good tournament. But, you know, three, four weeks in, when you're still two weeks away from the playoffs, but you've had four weeks of cricket, you're like, OK, can we can we get to a conclusion of this narrative now? Um, so for me, definitely having the six teams has really worked for them. Um, Glenn, you've kind of taken this tournament on board this year. You've loved it. What is it for you that makes it so exciting? 
Yeah, I, I would agree with Hamad. I think he put it really nicely. I think there's just like basically no attrition, right? The, the problem I had with the with the big bash was completely the opposite, where even players um, were complaining pretty much towards the end, especially with bubble life, right, in the, in the context of the pandemic, that the BBL just, just went on for too long. And I'd completely agree. It almost felt like it went through the entire ashes and beyond, which doesn't really make a huge amount of sense. And you don't get that kind of concise action-packed schedule that the PSL offers you. Um, so that was great. I think, yeah, another thing is just watching the amount of depth and quality that Pakistan as a nation has in this particular format. Um, you put it, you know, really well, Hamad, like the bowling, especially, you know, it, you know to, to use some some general generalized terms here. Pakistan seem to have a real abundance of massive hitters, really exciting players who strike the ball cleanly and, and hit it far. They have a beautiful array of spinners, some coming in younger, some obviously much older, as we just discussed. And there's just just there's just some pace merchants. There's just some really, really quick bowlers who just know what they're doing. And when they're playing each other, especially, as you mentioned, Hamad, with this lovely kind of interpersonal relationships really shining through. Um, it's it's great. I think another thing, I think they got the comms team. The commentary team was pretty good. I think the actual way it was um, on broadcast this year was especially good. I think they had a high quality of um commentators um i think and again you still got a feel for the tournament right you had imagine you had all these kind of cuts to these strange awards they were giving to like scrabble players yeah yeah because the psl is sort of like so seen as the showcasing of national talent yeah. they, they run this segment called hamari heroes our heroes where they try to bring people who have done positive things for pakistan in pakistan or worldwide to showcase and then have basically show what uh, sort of like a positive soft image of Pakistan uh, to counter some narratives as they see in in the media and also yeah uh, definitely talent coming old and new and one of the things is that you always seem to have some pacer that is really good that has come from Lahore's uh, player development program. This year, Salman Irshad. It's such a good point about gun pace in Pakistani bowlers. There's always one knocking around, if not if not three or four on the scene. And it's great to finally be able to watch some young Pakistani talent that we don't see in the IPL, we don't see too many places. So we get this nice little four weeks in uh, in, in February, which is normally quite time for cricket, to watch this uh, and really enjoy it. So it, it has been fantastic. Uh, great summary from you, boys. Thank you for that. Uh, quickly, Hamad, before we let you go, obviously attention turns now in Pakistan cricket to... Uh, Australia coming for the first time in 25 years. Yes. Very, very exciting. We start with three test matches. Just give mm-hmm. us a few thoughts uh, ahead of this tour and, and what you're excited about. Yeah. So for the listeners, uh, the tests are being held in Rawalpindi. So we are moving away from our Karachi and Lahore to uh, the Pindi Stadium, which always has a good atmosphere around it. Uh, even when, let's say, we were seeing Bangladesh or South Africa play in Pindi, then we had relatively good a good crowd come in, watch it out. It also helps that the tickets are relatively cheap this time around with something like, I guess, uh, even less than a dollar for the general uh, enclosure and uh, around three to four dollars for the general, uh, basically for more VIP enclosures. So it, it is relatively cheap to actually go and watch those. And Pindi has always been seen as a beautiful stadium to play and everything. And yeah, people are excited about having Australia here. Uh, definitely we had, 
a uh, lot of the players that were playing at the PSL, but then moved on, let's say, Barazam and everybody else. Uh, they went into the training camps and they've been there and setting up for this. And uh, I think it gets up to be a good competition. Uh, we have we have some choice Australian players coming in, Pat Cummins, Steve Smith, and who I don't think really have played uh, in Pakistan at any form. So it's sort of like a first outing for a lot of them in unfamiliar territory. So seeing how they will handle the pitches over here, where even though they're tech supposed to be slow and a bit lower, like most subcontinent competitors, you still have the Pakistan-based battery, which manages to get stuff done in these conditions. So it will be interesting to see how that how that plays out. Spot on. Great summary. Great little uh, preview of that. Uh, Thank you so much, Ahmad, for joining us again. Um, that is it for part one. For now, in part two, we're going to be going around the grounds with a full mm-hmm. preview of Australia's tour of Pakistan, India and Sri Lanka, as well as South Africa and New Zealand. We'll see you in part two. Okay, welcome back to part two. I'm joined again by Zach, Will and Glenn for this part where we're going to be going around the grounds, uh, some previews and some reviews of series. We're going to save the England preview for next week and the pod will come out on the day uh, the first test match in England and West Indies starts. Uh, But for now, we've got Sri Lanka, India, New Zealand, South Africa and Pakistan, Australia going on. Uh, So lots of cricket coming up for you in March. Uh, We're going to start over in India, Will. Uh, India glide to the easiest T20I series wins. Is I was guessing what you wrote. That might have been Glenn. Uh, 3-0 against Sri Lanka. Um, every game finishing pretty lopsidedly in India's favour. That is now 12 consecutive T20I wins. Um, I is on that T20 World Cup coming up again this year. India making a little run. Um, we'll talk about this series. Pretty easy for India, but you know anything that stood out for you? Yeah, it was quite straightforward. They're, they're obviously using all of these as warm-ups for the World Cup and trying out a few different players, which makes a lot of sense. Um, so there was no Kale Rahul for this series, no Virat Kohli. Everybody in his absence, it has to be said, did very, very well. All of the sort of middle-order batters for India now seem to be quite on top of things. Mainly, Shreyas Iyer is a thing now. Um, I have been quite, not quite on Puran level, but I've been a little bit sceptical about his place in the T20 side. I think he's just a bit of a plodder quite a lot of the time, but credit to him. He's really up to strike rate in the last year or so. Um, he managed to get three not outs against Sri Lanka, um, putting up some pretty absurd scores. Um, he's got a 57 not out of uh, 28 balls in the first, then a 74 of 44, and finally a 73 of 45. So he was player of the series pretty comfortably what was his what was his average then if that's three red inkers is his average just those three scores combined or he doesn't get an average for that infinite (laughs) infinite it would be i think it adds up to 240 so in a if he was in a table of a list of averages for the series his would be if anyone had above 240 they would be listed above him but obviously no one would have that high an average wow okay handy series then handy series um Ishkish opened, Will, and remember I put him opening in my fantasy billionaire Qatar tournament mini league. So yes. I kind of I kind of foresaw that clearly. And he did a good job. He did a pretty good job. He scored an 80 odd in the first game. So I think that's kind of slightly cemented his place for now because he didn't do a great job in the West Indies T20s. I don't think that's a permanent solution by any means. He's had kind of six games there now, I think, as an opener. Lots of people would have expected him to probably score a few more runs than he has and really 
stake a claim to that position, which didn't quite happen, but he did well enough. Um, I think they'll still play around with the opening pair over the next six months. Um, the other guy, very happily for me, who is doing very well for himself is Ravi Jadeja. Um, Rohit Sharma essentially thinks of him as a batting all-rounder at best. He, got, he, he took a couple of wickets with the ball in this last game, but he's primarily been as a batter, coming in at four or five. So facing a lot more balls, which suits his game quite well. Not really forcing anything. Again, didn't get out for the entire series. Um, just playing some really nice strokes, finding the gaps. All very good for him. We should also mention on the Sri Lanka side, um, their captain, Dazan Shanaka. Again, very, very good performance. There was a, It wasn't as comfortable as, as perhaps the scorelines look for India. They, there was a little bit of resistance um, from Sri Lanka. So he put up his own um, 74 of 38 in the last game and then 47 of 19 um prior to that which is pretty special so i think uh, there's lots of people kind of saying if the if the ipl auction had happened a couple weeks later he might have done a little bit better for himself uh any hasaranga action he's sort of the yeah, one from Shranka. ah well there you go nothing from him he's the one shranker i get excited about at the minute and he is in the ipl so um obviously looking out for him uh focus now moves to test cricket for india and Sri Lanka. a two test series that starts on march the 3rd um, what's to look out for in that one, Will? Is it is it is this going to be a close series, do you think, or India going to be looking to dominate this one as well? Well, they'll be looking to dominate, obviously. Um, <laughs> that's <laughs> you'd that's hope a so. stupid question. That's a stupid <laughs> question. Of course they do. Um, no, I think the main story, as ever, we're, we're, we're back on Kohli watch. Um, he's playing, like, unbelievably, I can't quite believe this is real, um, but he's playing his 100th test match, um, which just feels like an absurd number. Um, and, of course, that means we're back on Kohli 100 watch. Um getting on for God knows how long now since he last scored a century. So I think that will be the, the main story for it. Subplot there, kind of unfortunately, they've announced they're not going to let any fans in the ground for it for, for COVID reasons, which is a bit of a shame. Obviously would have been a nice atmosphere for him. Um, but yeah, really looking forward to that series. It's also particularly interesting because there was talk about him not playing in one of the test matches in South Africa because he had an injury. So he could have this 100th test match at home rather than having it as the third test in the South Africa series. So now having no fans there is a bit, you know, I mean, I mean, it reminds me of because um, Chris Gale was obviously meant to have the goodbye match earlier this year. And that hasn't happened yet because they weren't going to have fans in Jamaica. So he didn't want to have it without a party. So Coley is going to have this 100th match, but. It's, you know, it's a shame that there's not many people there. And it has been a while since his last hundred. And I enjoyed in South Africa his sort of absolute doggedness to not get out. Like his strike rate dropped to uncoli-like levels for him only to nick off after 70 or whatever he was doing. So do you think we're going to see a bit more of that? Like he, he rightly so wants to get 100 and he clearly desperately wants it. So this narrative goes away again, which I get. But do you think we'll still see this sort of ploddy coli, as it were? Or do you think he'll go right forget the 100 for now let's just try and get some runs back to normal uh no i think we're full plod for vera um, <laughs> which which makes a lot of sense i mean i would it's always funny when you get these kind of games it was the same with like sachin's last game and alice to cook at the oval like whenever you get these occasions where there's just a ridiculous amount of pressure to get 100 for largely arbitrary reasons um i'm not sure that ever <laughs> that doesn't really bring the best out of a batter does it in terms of the the stroke play and the best of their performance but I, yeah he'll just dig in and try and get it i think uh, last little bit on India for their test match squad. So they've included uh, a debutant called Saurav Kumar, never played for India before. And he's got a fun little backstory, um, took a kind of circuitous route into international cricket. Um, so he, until he was 21, he wasn't even a full-time professional cricketer. He was in the, he joined the Indian Air Force, 
Now, hilariously, this is what I like about this story. The Indian Army just has a team that plays in the Ranji Trophy, the first class tournament, as their own team because there are so many of them. So he's just casually, be, he, he works in the Air Force, casually plays first class cricket for them to the point where the army told him, like, don't, don't worry about doing any army stuff, mate. You're quite good at cricket. So you could just play the Ranji <laughs> Trophy full time for us. So eventually, when he was 21, he was like, well, I'm playing cricket anyway. I may as well just sack this in and go try and be a professional cricketer full time, which he did. He's been bobbling around for a few years, briefly got an IPL contract a few years ago and never played, went unsold at the auction this year. And then about four or five days later, gets picked in the India Test squad. So well done him. Well, definitely one to look out for then. Very exciting. Looking forward to that series then between India and Sri Lanka. A lot of test cricket going on at the minute. And there is a match currently going on as we're recording here on Monday night in the UK between New Zealand and South Africa. It will likely be done by the time you listen to this, but we'll still talk about it anyway. As we're sat here recording, New Zealand need 332 more runs to pull off what would be the highest successful chase in test cricket. Or, more likely option, bat out the final day to draw. Or, even more likely option, get bowled out. Uh, they've got six wickets left. Uh, Glenn, you've been keeping an eye on this one. Uh, it's They're one or down at the minute. And this is just a two-test series, right? So this would end up drawing the series. But South Africa have looked a lot more lively in this game after they got rolled in that first test. Yeah, thank you, uh, Dan. And number one, please can we abolish the two-test series? It is absolutely insufferable. Um, why? Who, who, who on earth decided this in global cricket? Like, you, you know, usually you, you the first game, such as was the case with this one, where the, you know, the away team still getting used to the home conditions. It can be quite lopsidedly in one team's favour, as we saw. Uh, New Zealand really cleaned up South Africa in the first test, which we examined briefly in the in the previous week's podcast. Um, South Africa have come roaring back, and it has been some real. Um, magic from Rabada who's been leading the charge with both the ball and the bat it's um it's important to say so yeah um as you mentioned Dan you know it's a shame that the the, the timing where we're recording um people listening will probably know the final result I think it's um it, it's going to finish in a couple of hours or at least the final day is going to start in a couple of hours um for me um but it's been a really good it's been a really good example of test cricket so um South Africa have bounced back with some real venom they've piled up the runs they got 364 um in the first innings and 354 for nine declared you know if you're declaring away from home that's always a pretty uh, strong signal of intent there uh new zealand um have struggled a little bit more with the bat you know they put on 293 in the first innings um you know not a million miles away from the mid 300 south africa have got but they are four down right now they're 94 for four um as you mentioned uh going for what would be a, uh, a record chase. Um, so that that seems quite unlikely. Um, but yeah, there's been a couple of really, um, really impressive performances um, so far. Um, Sorrell um, Airy got 108 in what's only his second ever test match, I think, for South Africa in the first innings. Really dominant performance there. Impressive stuff from them. Uh, an absolute podcast favourite. Um, I think he made it into my um, Alan Stanford franchise team last week. Colin de Gronholm. <laughs> Who else? I mean, what a player, what a player. He got absolutely magnificent 120, not out, really turned that uh, that first innings around for New Zealand. He piled on a really big 100-plus partnership with Daryl Mitchell, who was just one of those. Another, Daryl Mitchell just sums up this this New Zealand team. They're just innocuous players. They're just kind of quiet players that seem to just jump in with some important runs. So Daryl Mitchell got 60, and they... Um, 
and they uh, put on put on a solid performance um, with the bat while people around them did struggle. What was really interesting um, from a South African perspective is that Rabada and Janssen got nine wickets between them. Um, so really was um, pretty much those two leading the charge there. A five for, for Rabada in the first innings. He has looked absolutely superb. Um, wicketkeeper um, Carl Verena. Um, is highest scorer in the match um, with 136 not out. Really great stuff there um, for South Africa. It really, you know, he's looking. We're looking at him right as, as Decock's replacement, and I think he's showing that he can do it with the bat. Um, beautiful innings, and you know, I'm saying this is the Rabada show. Two more facts from him. Um, he chipped in with his highest ever Test score of 47. Really good stuff from him in that second innings. Um, so the runs really did flow towards the end of that innings, and you could see the frustration on the faces of the New Zealand bowlers there when they could see. The the game slipping away from them in real time um in reply so again they've new zealand have been set a pretty pretty large total um they were six for two in reply yesterday new zealand rabada getting both openers i mean this guy cannot <laughs> cannot stay quiet in this game can i just chip in on rabada's batting and i'm i'm shocked that 47 is his highest score he simply always looks like a better batter than his average suggests he's got he's got a cracking cover drive on him he comes out with a lovely traditional looking gray nickels bat he comes out looking like an open ready to go and then loves like like check driving one to mid on or mid off or something so to see him get some runs here is huge you know, i i think he he looks a lot better than he is and this could be the start for something maybe or maybe it was a fluke who knows also worth noting his uh, 47 came from 34 balls and included four sixes so a strike rate of 138 yeah, a monstrous innings. And something else to note with his, with um, how impressive he was with the ball. Um, it's the first time a South African uh, bowler has got both openers since 2010, when Mornay Morkel was the last person to do that. So Rabada breaking, you know, just just keeping the records flowing for in a personal capacity from him. Superb stuff. So New Zealand was struggling, six for two, and I think they were 25 odd for three as well. Um, but once again, main man Daryl Mitchell and Devin Conway uh, put on a 56-run um, partnership for the fourth wicket to take the match into the fifth day. There were alarm bells ringing, thinking, wow, can South Africa tear through the rest of this New Zealand team on the fourth day? Wasn't to be. Um, I think Daryl Mitchell is is out now, but Devin Conway's still there and looks pretty set. So, as always, with the fifth-day games, like the first session is going to be really vital. Personally, having followed this game as close as I can without watching a huge amount of it, um, I, I can't see anything really apart from a South Africa win with with how dominant they've been with bat and ball in this game but I mean what a great game of test cricket and for them to bounce back um, after that pretty humiliating defeat in the in the first game it was about as one side as you can get for a competitive test match with two well-matched teams this has been superb once again this deserves a third test you know this 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 will probably be 1-1 this deserves a winner so that's disappointing and one more thing you know short tests in New Zealand seem to be really really fun I remember covering the uh, the Pakistan tour of New Zealand about this time last year got really into that so yeah for people listening obviously it really does depend on um, on time difference I know it's difficult in the UK some of these games in New Zealand but if you're ever looking for some some test cricket New Zealand just offer some really entertaining stuff so a really good series so far yeah definitely if you're listening in the US I think New Zealand and Australian cricket is a cracking time to go and watch some some really good test cricket depending on who they're playing obviously um good for South Africa though because I remember in the India series I heralded this as a new era for them I then had to take that away after they got battered and now it's back South Africa are back they're going to be amazing again and seeing these guys come through is it is it Peterson the number three who couldn't play who got some runs in India yeah um he was very good obviously isn't uh, isn't available for this test uh, this test series so yeah 
South Africa are back. Congratulations. Uh, and thanks, Glenn, for summing that up. It'll be done by the time we're listening to this, but Glenn, could be a good, could be you predicting the future here, South Africa win. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you're hardly sticking your neck out, but fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> it's New Zealand, though. They, they, can do, they're, they're, they can do lots of strange things, New Zealand. If, they, if, if any test team was to pull this off, the draw, that is, I don't think they're going to get 332. It might be New Zealand, and it might be De Grandin leading over the line. That would be fun. Okay, final preview then. Uh, another test series coming up. Um, Australia, they're playing away from home. They're playing a game of cricket outside of Australia. Uh, not only is it outside of Australia, it is in Pakistan. Uh, the first test in 24 years for Australia in Pakistan. Uh, a pretty historic tour, uh, one that looked like it may or may not be on. You know, England scuttled away from a Pakistan tour uh, pretty recently. So it's good to see Australians actually going out there. It's the first time Australia playing away for three years. And as I said, first time in 24 years for Australia and Pakistan. Zach, you've been looking at this. Um, this is exciting. This is, I've said that about every test match, but it's because I like cricket. This is actually really exciting. See cricket in Pakistan again. Um, Hamad said it in part one. You know, um, it should be a great atmosphere. We'll have fans in the ground. And none of these Australians have ever played in these conditions. None of them really go. They don't go to the PSL that much. You know, they would never play that internationally, this generation at least. So a lot of unknowns going into this, which should make it fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's really exciting. Uh, you know, the, there's been a few test matches in Pakistan in recent years, but to have Australia going, the team, like you said, they don't tour. They don't, you know, they don't seem to want to play outside of Australia ever. And, you know, they've climbed to top of the rankings in test cricket, having not played outside of Australia. It's a big test for them. You know, that's why it's called test cricket. The, the squads are a bit interesting for this. Uh, the, the Pakistan squad has got, got a few interesting things. Harris Ralph, you know, obviously we all know Harris Ralph for his T20 exploits, is in the test squad. He's only ever played four first class games though and taken 16 wickets which isn't bad but four first class games to get a test call up it's an interesting shout I mean it's a kind of it's a it's quite a typical it's only in Pakistan where they do this I feel like Wakar Yunus didn't play much first class cricket before getting into the test side it's one of those things they see the pace they think he doesn't need to play domestic cricket he can just play thing he can just play you know the best form uh, Abid Ali is out, who's played a lot of test cricket recently for Pakistan, opening the batting. He was diagnosed with a heart condition in December, which I completely missed. But he is replaced by Sean Massoud, who I want to call him a pod favourite. I really like him as a bloke. I really liked when they had the T20 series. I think it was like one of the first times I came on the podcast. One of the games was on the BBC and it was him next to Jimmy Anderson. Jimmy Anderson had just had the wool over him for three test matches and they were commentating next to each other. And that was good fun. So I'm a fan of Sean Massoud. A big shame about Hassan Ali. He's out of the first test as well. And he was their second highest wicket taker in 2021. The interesting thing that's been mentioned a lot is how, I, I don't know if everyone's seen on, on social media, Manus Labashain has been kind of making his home available so he can play against All about spin. this. All about this, and this guy is top of my top cricketers list. After this, he just loves it. He loves it. Looks like a lot of fun as well. I'd love one of them in my house. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, oh, I would absolutely love to have this in my house. <laughs> what a legend! And but I think it's a little bit. It, I mean, you'd expect if say Pakistan lose the first test, yes, the other pit, pitches will probably spin quite a lot. But Rural Pindi, where the first test is, 
pace has massively dominated there over the last three test matches, which is how many test matches have happened since kind of Pakistan have started hosting tests again with, you know, 52 wickets at 27 for pace and only 21 wickets at 46 for spin. So I'd be surprised if Australia going with more than one spinner, you'd expect that Mitchell Swepson might finally get his debut at some point in this series, but I think they'll just go with Nathan Lyon for that first one and go with their paces because that's where they're, they're strongest. And in the spin department for Pakistan, unfortunately, Yazish Shah seems to have fallen out of kind of favour. He's in he's in the reserves this, but I'm again big fan of him because Will we spoke about this on Sunday. He spins the ball far, he hits the ball far. These are the things I like in a so cricketer. So we want that's that's all you want in a cricketer. He but he was playing when South Africa toured that Test series, right? Not not pretty recently. Yeah. So it's interesting. He's just fallen out of favour then. Yeah, they've got they've got Sajid Khan and Norman Ali will be the spinners. One is a one is an off spinner, one is a left arm orthodox. And if the ball is going to spin lots, you don't necessarily need the wrist spinner because we saw what um, Axar Patel did to England uh, earlier. Earlier. Don't talk about him. Earlier you this know, year, you, you know what year. sort of mood that puts me in, Zach. That's that's not fair of you. <laughs> I like to try and mention him as often (laughs) as possible. (laughs) I know it's been a year, Will, but that's how much he's absolutely grated on me. Um, Yeah, isn't I think Hamad said as well at the end of part one that, you know, pace does do a bit in Pakistan. It is still a subcontinent pitch, but pace is a little bit more, a little bit more involved. Yeah, and and Pat Cummins came out recently and said he, in the next phase of his captaincy, he's going to target reverse swing, which I think was some interesting wording from a from an Australian captain in recent times. Uh, My next phase of captaincy as well. It's just uh, you know whatever, Mm. whatever. Um, Look in Australia, it is a markedly similar squad um, that played in the Ashes with just Ashton Agar being added to the extended group. Uh, Mitch Marsh, Josh Inglis and, and Swepson, try and say that after a few beers, uh, have all been named uh, and it's an 18 man squad travelling out there. So, you know, we ha- unfortunately watched a lot of the Ashes, so we kind of know what this team's going to look like. As you said, Zach, probably one spinner, maybe Swepson gets in, but we know how solid that batting lineup can be as well. It will just be fascinating to see how they deal with conditions they never played in before. Yeah, it, it def it, it will be fascinating because you know we've seen we've seen these players rack up some runs, particularly someone like Travis Head. He's come out and said, you know, these away tours are what actually kind of makes you as as a Test cricketer. It decides whether you're going to just be kind of a decent player or a great player, and he, he's completely right. And I mean, can't think of a time when he's really played outside of Australia. I mean, I can. He he played for Sussex and was terrible last summer, so he needs some runs. Although he had obviously, you know, an amazing series at home. But for me, we've mentioned Marnus previously. For Marnus, this is big because he's obviously got this amazing reputation as number one test batter in the world. But the only time he's played away from home really is that um, that Ashes when he came in for Steve Smith and played. Mm. I think he played two of the test matches. Maybe he played. No, he must have played three. But he hasn't played away from home. Obviously, he's he's working hard. And fair enough to him but it's a big test for him because you know we've seen how Joe Root goes Joe Root goes to Asia and, and absolutely bosses it can Marnus do the same mm. great little great little game within a game to look out for there Zach well done um interestingly on the Pakistan coaching setup the head coach is Sakhalin Mushtaq I didn't I didn't know that is that a recent appointee or has he been in charge for a while must be a recent appointment. Feels recent, doesn't it? Let, let's just say it is. I'm, I'm going to guess it is. 
good podcasting. Um, Sean Tate is the bowling coach. That's what I was trying to get at. Oh, yeah, uh, really an like Australian that, yeah. the bowling coach. Like that's pretty cool. Um, not sure how much. I'm sure he's got plenty of insight into these this Australian batters. Not just because he's an Australian man, but because he's probably played against all of them. So that's definitely a little a nice little string in in Pakistan's bow for this tour. Let's do some predictions for this series because we're famously very good at them. Uh, Zach going to make you go first because you've just spoken about them for 10 minutes. What do you reckon is going to happen here? Luckily, Glenn, it is three test matches, by the way. Uh, and the series is sponsored by TikTok. So it's the TikTok test series, which um, is very plosive and lovely to say. <laughs> we can we can finally break into our TikTok market. <laughs> yeah, this is it. This is our time to do it. Um, Zach, three tests. What's the score going to be? Yeah, big fan of that being the TikTok test series because they've had recently TikTok Super 4s was the thing in, in the PSL. But that's not as good as TikTok tests. No, what's TikTok, TikTok test? Is much test. I could say that. I could say that for days. Yeah, I really could. Absolutely. Um, are you just trying to buy time here for your prediction or something? <laughs> <laughs> There's a filibuster. I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna go two on Pakistan. Lovely. Um, I was gonna say the same, and I'm gonna stick to the same because I think that's a genuine answer. Glenn, you're allowed to say the same, mate. Don't worry. Uh, three 0 Pakistan. Let's do it. Nice. Oh. Well, you get the, you get the, you get the. You get the dregs of a choice now if you want to be a bit different. You've got to pick something a bit random. <laughs> 3 nil Australia. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of us has to be right there, provided there's no draws or anything. Weather doesn't normally get involved. So uh, hopefully some good test cricket out there. Um, some breaking news while we're recording, actually. As I said, we will preview England West Indies next week uh, ahead of the test match starting on Tuesday, the 8th of March, when the podcast comes out. Uh, but they've named a, a 12 uh, to face a President's 11 in a four-day match, which starts today as you're listening to it um interestingly no ollie pope uh with dan lawrence referred at number four which suggests he's in line to play in that first test which is pretty cool um i'll read you through the 12 here uh crawley and lee's opening as we expected root at three you know which is a very important thing for some reason uh lawrence for stokes is familiar five i think some people thought he might bat at three or four uh Bairstow at six folks keeper wokes overton Wood, Robinson, Leach. I think that was 12 um, people. Oof, I, I can't get excited about this series, to be honest. Well, I can. I'm very excited for it. I can't get excited about this test team doing well, is what I'm trying to get at. I'm slightly losing my mind over this team. This is hilarious. You drop, you're arguably your two best bowlers in history because you want a new approach, try out some new players, and then it's just Overton, Wood, Robinson, Leach, and Wokes. That's your bowling attack. And is this is what we are. Gather? Sorry, mate. It's the attack from the Gabba plus Overton. <laughs> oh, God. In a warm-up game, if you really want to mess around, you can. And they've gone, you know what? Let's let's just toe the party line here. Have some imagination about you. That's extraordinary. Worth noting that this doesn't have first-class status because of the 12 players involved. So that does mean that the other players, you know, Parkinson could get, get, get a game a little bit later. He could bowl a few overs. Mahmood could play... Oh, a bit. people could just rock up and have a little. Parkinson could have a little bowl on day three, even though he's not playing yeah, for the first so. two days. Oh, right. That's, they, that's they've a not specified. Game. They've not specified, but because obviously they've named a twelve, it's not a first class game. So yeah. Yeah, I, I misinterpreted that. I thought, well, they named twelve and they're going to pick eleven. It'll just be a normal game of cricket, not not round robin. Bring your mates, have a yeah. beer on the boundary. But um, uh, those those are the twelve <laughs> people that responded in the England WhatsApp group who fancied yeah. the game. <laughs> 
the others will be at the beach. Um, yeah, this is this is a dire, and I think Will's sentiment is echoed in the already twenty odd comments that are underneath uh, Will Will McPherson's tweet, which we're working from here. Yeah, I, I mean, it's just it's just hopeless, isn't it? I mean. I can't think of a much duller bowling attack in the world than Wokes Overton. Wood will give Wood his dues. Wood's, Wood's great. Robinson Leach. Um, it's just Wokes and Overton for Broad and Anderson. I mean, it's just it's just woeful, isn't it? Um, at least I guess... we've got the at least we've got the Stokes Wokes Wokes trifecta of power again. Um, if with you know we've had the TikTok test series, now we have got the Oakses. You know, I'm clutching here, boys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's painful. It's interesting, you know. Will McPherson notes that Ollie Pope's not in this. Um, Dan Lawrence is the is the preference there. Um, I don't really care either way. To be fair, Dan Lawrence, you know, give him a go. Fair, fair enough to him. Yeah. But that that bowling attack just makes me want to shrivel up and 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 watch watch the Australia Pakistan game instead. Yeah. yeah. One thing worth noting as well is that this will be streamed on West Indies YouTube channel. So starting at about 1 p.m. tomorrow, UK time and streamed for four days on the YouTube channel. Lovely. Bit of, bit of consumer advice there, Zach. Thank you. I wouldn't have known that. So I will enjoy that while I'm working in the background, I think. Sounds like torture. <laughs> <laughs> we shall see. We'll have a full preview of that next week. And as you can tell, that might be quite a fun podcast, I think, with with uh, some of the names knocking around there. Uh, OK, to wrap up this week, Zach, uh, your quick question, of course. Could we have a reminder of last week's question and the answer, please? Last week's question related to the highest run scorers and wicket takers for the men's and women's 100 for last year as the squad retainments were announced. So the highest run scorer for the women was Dane van Niekerk, who we spoke about in the World Cup special, is actually out of the World Cup, which is a big shame. The highest wicket taker, we'll already answer this on the podcast on Sunday, was Tash Farrant. And then for the men, the highest run scorer was Liam Livingston, pod favourite. And the highest wicket taker was four different people on 12 wickets, and that was Rashid Khan, Adil Rashid, Marshant Delanga, and Adam Milne. I'd forgotten Delanga and Milne. I got the two spinners. Um, however, another one of your questions was, do you remember anything about the 100? And I, sim- I would simply say no. Um, <laughs> that's my answer to that one, which was a bit of a side question from last week. Uh, okay, brilliant. What's, uh, what's this week's quick question to round off, Zach? In what year was the first ever official test match was it a 1847 b 1867 c 1887 or d 1877 i don't reckon it's that one because you made it up off the top of your head <laughs> and i and i i had the view of seeing your face come up with that year then well, so let's just do A, B, C, A, B, C. I thought you were going to say D, all of the above. <laughs> yeah, I can't answer because, yeah, yeah, we should we should know this. So I, uh, yeah, I'm, <laughs> but you I'm don't, do you? I don't. Of course I don't. I definitely know that. Um, there you go. Multiple choices um, week for listeners. Yeah, you can you can find the answer in Duncan Stone's book and listen to Glenn and I's podcast on that if you want. Um, but of what you said, I would guess 1847. I'd, I'd, go, I'd go early. I like going for A. 
Oh, that's what I'd go for. But you could probably Google it as well. But don't Google it because that's not the fun of the quick question. The fun is guessing it yourself and finding <laughs> out next week. And am I, I right in saying? Are. Am I right in saying Zach that it's on Kennington Common, which is now the Oval? <laughs> I think the answer might be the one that I said at the end. <laughs> <laughs> this quick question is cursed. You know what? I thought it was we're keep, no, we're keeping this in. There's no we're idea. keeping this, this in. Yeah, we're keeping this in. This is too fun to, to get rid of. So well done, Zach. You know, quick question <laughs> yeah, quite well the past few weeks, but that you know that was even messy. the question master doesn't know what the answer is. So <laughs> who knows? Yeah, it was, 18, it was 1877, and it was in. Uh, <laughs> we've got to get rid of this, and it was <laughs> and it was in Melbourne. <laughs> oh, so not, we're not even looking at test match in England. Oh, brilliant! No. Cheers, cheers, Zach. I think we keep all this in anyway. Will <laughs> you, you you get final say on that? Uh, Brilliant, Zach. Thank you very much. Well, you can find out next week what the answer is. Um, we'll mention the Duncan Stone podcast, uh, which is well worth a listen. That was released about a month ago. There's also Will and Zach's Women's World Cup preview with our very special guest, Ellie, who's fantastic. Uh, that came out on Sunday and the Women's World Cup starts on the 5th of March. So still plenty of time to get yourself ready for that. Uh, but that's about it for this week, boys. Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. Uh, Zach, get better soon work on those questions mate you know i trust you quick questions but you know we'll see what gets into that pod thank you boys excellent podcast we'll be back same time next week until then goodbye know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours excursions and more in one place there are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from so you can find something for everyone and viator offers free cancellation and 24 7 customer support for worry-free travel download the viator app now and use code viator 10 for 10 percent off your first booking in the app find travel experiences for you do more with viator for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.